Hello, curiosity seekers and adventurous thinkers. Welcome to Applied Curiosity Lab Radio, the podcast for the relentlessly curious. This season, our host and Applied Curiosity Lab's chief curiosity seeker, Becky Saltzman, will be sharing the studio with ACL's chief experience producer and favorite sister, Jennifer Felberg. The lens is, and always will be, curiosity. Each week, fun and formal conversations center around one delectable curiosity bite, designed to give your brain the time and ideas to think about thinking, to flex your curiosity muscle, and maybe even revolutionize the way you think. A few years ago, I was witnessing people doing their civic duty by posting articles about the tragedy of homelessness and weighing in on their thoughts that we should do something about it. We need to do something about it. And I had this idea that it would be fun to use Applied Curiosity to think through the problem. Actually, there's an episode that I did about it. And I don't know if I felt that it was my duty or not, so I have to think about that, but I felt that it was somewhat of a fun challenge and an obligation to go beyond posting something to actually research what I call the minimum viable solution to homelessness. And I got deep into the weeds looking at disgust. I won't go into it because that's what the podcast is about, and I can put a link in the show notes, but the point was that I did follow through, and I followed up with some of the government officials who led me to other government officials, who led me to other government officials. And I probably went four layers deep and volunteered to share, which I sent them my analysis. They said, oh, this is really interesting. Maybe they were just being, maybe they were placating me. I don't know. But they wanted me to come in and present it. Then some guy got sick and I didn't do it. Anyway, I kept saying, okay, I'm here, I'm here. But my duty kind of ended when they really weren't that receptive or didn't seem to be taking the idea, or maybe they took the idea and they didn't need me anymore. At that point, I realized that my duty ends here. I did something about it. I don't know that I feel that good about it. I don't know that I've fulfilled my duty, but it leads me to the curiosity bite. Are you ready to take a chomp? I am hungry for it. All right. What do we owe our distant descendants. When I think of we, what we owe, I think of us as a whole. So our generation, the people that are living right now, what do we owe the future? I guess what I would think, I don't feel like I owe that much except for the continuation of the earth in a manner that people, that humanity can still exist. Exist or thrive? Exit. I don't think it's my duty to have people thrive, but I do feel that it is my duty to make sure that I'm going to do everything that I can or that I'm willing to do. <laughs> <laughs> That's a big <laughs> to make sure that that the earth still exists. People have the things that they need to survive. Yeah. What about you? I owe future generations. Well, are you asking me? What do, do we, we? What do we think? Mm-hmm. Okay, collectively. Yeah, collectively. I think it's it's much easier for me to suggest what we collectively owe our future, or our distant descendants. I'm going to say distant descendants because that's the curiosity bite versus right. future generations. But distant descendants. But that's how I'm t- I'm interpreting as it. future that's generations. It. Yeah. Okay, it's much easier for me to answer the bite 
as the collective we because it takes a lot of the responsibility off of what I must do to fulfill that duty day right, to day. Right. When you say we owe the our future descendants, collective future descendants, an earth that is amenable to sustaining human life, that is an easy thing for me to say we owe. But when I change the bite to what... I think you're changing it by saying what we owe. What is our duty? Duty as an action. What do we have as a duty to our descendants? Our duty might be to avoid destroying the possibility of future descendants thriving or surviving on this planet or on other planets where it's reasonable that humanity can survive. I I'm not sure that that's a duty. I think people who suggest that our duty to our future descendants is to is nothing are probably to a certain extent a little bit more crass but a little bit closer to what's accurate because some people say we do owe a duty to the survival of the earth, but that might mean that our future descendants have no role because earth might survive just fine without humans. Mm-hmm. A more interesting question becomes, and this is the one I took when I answered the Facebook, which was, which is, what duty do you owe your distant descendants? So when I asked Stephen the first question, mm-hmm. I thought he had some good answers. What did he say? For what he owes distant descendants, he said, to deliver a viable environment that can sustain life. I think that's kind of a common thing to mm-hmm. deliver that. Mm-hmm. When I asked him, what do, what duty do you owe your distant descendants? He didn't get into what constitutes distant. He didn't con- he didn't get into what constitutes a descendant for him. He just said personal, uh, not to burden them with a bad reputation or a lot of debt. Hmm. And I think that's legitimate because you can create something like the Madoff family now forever. That name although probably not forever, but at least in the foreseeable future, when you hear the term Madoff, you think of Bernie Madoff. Mm-hmm. And you could say, oh, no, no, I'm not that, or, or Charles Manson. Oh, no, I'm not that family. I'm not from that Manson family. Avoiding a bad reputation is a good th- a good duty to consider and not to hand them a tremendous amount of debt is good. So I think that's legitimate. I don't know if that would go for, I don't know how distant a descendant would have to be before that became. That's the thing. And yesterday when I was coaching at the high school for the speech and debate team, yeah, I was speaking to the public forum group. They're the debaters that do a lot of research. Right now they're researching Venezuela. The resolution is, should the United States end its economic sanctions against Venezuela. They were doing all their research. And I said, I need to stop you and selfishly ask you this curiosity bite to prepare for our podcast. So I got to give them the shout out because they said, we'll do it if you give us a shout out. So that's, can I say all of their names? Yes. Ethan, Nathaniel, Ella, Rowan, Dewa, Ashton, and Ari. Wilson High School Speech and Debate Woo-hoo! Team. Go Wilson. 2019. <laughs> Woohoo! 2020. I thought it would be interesting to get a teenage perspective on this because we have kids. I think that we feel, I'm assuming, that we have more of a sense of duty because we can visualize our children and maybe even visualize our grandchildren. But these kids don't have a twinkle in their eye yet for children. So I asked them the curiosity bite. Well, how many of them want to have kids? 
I asked them that. Oh, you did? Yeah. I said, okay, how many of you want to have kids? And about half of them raised their hand. Well, you can't really conceive of descendants if you don't have descendants. So that's legit. Right, right. right. All right. So what did they say? What are the things they said? Most of the things, when I first asked them, they felt like they had no duty to their distant descendants. Mm. But when I grilled them and said, okay, well, then why do you support doing something about climate change? Then they started to realize that there is a certain duty and they feel an obligation to their distant descendants, but only how it affects them, Mm. only how it makes them feel guilty or how they might be able to see it in their immediate descendants or maybe they're even their grandchildren. But when it gets to the point after they die and there's nothing you know more about them that they feel, they they don't feel any duty. Clarification. Do we feel we owe future generations something different than we owe our distant, our own distant descendants? I think that's what they felt. Oh. Because they can't, they said that we can physically see them and we might have to answer to their questions. It was all about them. But what surprised you most? I think that the biggest thing, and this happened about an hour after we were having this discussion, they talked about the importance of good intentions is a duty that they have. That as long as they feel like they tried, that they had good intentions in their existence, that they fulfilled their duty. In this population, do they think that people's intentions versus actions matter more when it comes to things that impact them? I think so. So if someone said something that was, if they were accidentally misgendered, for example, would it have to do with the intention or would it just matter what happened? Well, I think you're talking about a unique group of kids. These are people that love to engage in discourse. So you're not getting a good overview of the teenagers that are at this high school because I've seen a lot of issues when, especially about misgendering or misnaming because kids will change their name. And if you say their name wrong, like if you say there was this one kid that said their name, they changed their traditional female name to a traditional male name, and then they decided to change their traditional male name. And Ginger accidentally called this person by their original male name, traditional male name, and the person got mad and all these people were yelling at her because she wasn't respecting the person's new so name. So in that case, they didn't care about the Her intent. intention, no, not all at right. all. Do you feel that we owe future generations something different than we owe our own distant descendants? And while you think about it, I'll talk about what a sense of duty means. Yeah, like yeah. The definition of duty, a motivating awareness of ethical responsibility, sense of shame, moral sense, scruples, right and wrong. And it really derives logically from ethical or moral principles that are in your thoughts. Mm-hmm and that drive your actions. Yeah, how it affects you and how you feel about certain situations. That's, I guess, what duty is. How do you think duty affects you or how you respond to the word duty? Well, (laughs) when I asked Dane, what duty do you owe? He goes, you said duty. We did the same thing. (laughs) When I think about whether I owe future generations something different than I owe my own distant descendants, I would have to honestly say yes, because of two things. Number one, the truth is I probably care more about my own distant descendants. And the more distant they become, probably the less I care. The (laughs) other reason has to do with the fact that I chose to have children. Mm. They didn't choose to be here. 
So that in and of itself creates a sense of duty because my choice has ramifications that I must take responsibility for. So I like that. It's all about you, baby. All about you. All about us. What do you wish past generations had done for you, you personally and us as a group of descendants? Right now, I'm really bothered by the inequality for women. And what do you wish past generations had done about that? I wish that they would have not done the things to push women down that now we are trying to crawl our way back up. I think a lot of times it had to do with PR, it had to do with marketing, and those certain things kept women down and we're suffering for it now. I was listening to uh, the Democratic debate and I heard something that I hear a lot as pushback against Trump's anti-immigration policies and that is that we're a country of immigrants. No, we're not. Exactly. We are, except for if you're a Native American. We are a country of immigrants. This is what we've always been. Well, no, we mm-hmm. really aren't. Because we ha- are a country because Native Americans. I don't know that people brought over in chains from Africa necessarily <laughs> would consider them in the same kind of Immigrate immigrants, I guess they're immigrants technically, but that seems very weird. Speaking of that, two things. If you wish past generations had done more to push women's equality, mm-hmm. what would you would you be willing to do that right now? And what would that look like? I feel that I don't have much power. I try a lot of times when you try to speak out, it backfires. So it you have to be strategic. I like that we're doing this applied curiosity because what we're doing can make a difference in thinking differently and maybe making a difference on how we look at things like equality, how we look at things like immigration, how we look at what we're doing to our minorities, all of those things. Studying applied curiosity makes a difference. That's why I like working with you. The only reason why. <laughs> so you wish past generations had done more for women's equality, but yes. there's nothing that you would be willing to do right now if you were in their shoes then because you feel disempowered. So who would have been empowered then and what could they have done? That's the thing. I think I in, in theory, it's very easy to change I to we. What would you do personally now to fulfill the duty of delivering a sustainable earth to future generations? Well, I drive a leaf. Oh, girl. I love it. I try to tread lightly. I obviously do not make massive changes to my day-to-day life, but I don't think that I have a massive footprint on the earth. How much are you influenced by physical or emotional distance from individuals in need? (laughs) More specifically, Are you more likely to help someone dying of hunger on the street or someone dying of hunger in another country? Probably for me, it would be on the street. When you walk by someone passed out on the street, do you do anything? Not always, sometimes. Every Christmas, I do the most fun thing. It's from Picnic in the Park, but on Christmas, they block out the this big area and we feed over 300 homeless people 
a beautiful meal and they have live music and it's my favorite thing to do. It's selfish, of course, because I enjoy it so much. But I do feel that sense of obligation to help out in that way. I used to see people on the street and it was such an anomaly that I would freak out and say, oh, my God, is that person dead? Have they they passed out? And now it's so common Mm -hmm. that I just walk on by. And there have been many times where I thought, wait a minute, I should take a step back and just see if they're breathing. Now, if they're covered with grossness and there's garbage around, then I then my sense of disgust kicks in and mm-hmm. I really can't be that compassionate. I mean, it's hard. And it's overwhelming because there are so many people. And there's that story of how they've measured whether people feel a sense of duty to help. And it's one of the reasons that politicians always use those Joe the Plumber examples where they say, and that reminds me of Miriam. Miriam came up to me at one of my town halls and she said... Because when you give a story of someone to whom you might feel a duty, if you add their brother and their sister and their mother and their village and their town and their city and their country, it becomes so overwhelming that you're better to just keep it down to one person, one story, one relatable. So if you think of climate change as affecting a distant descendant and you can identify that descendant in a way that's meaningful to you, you're more likely to take action to deprive yourself of something. What I find particularly interesting is how many times people are posting on social media about climate change and the week later posting on social media about a trip that they traveled across the country or across the world on an airplane and they see no hypocrisy in that. Obviously, if I cared that much about climate change, I would never eat meat. I would grow as many vegetables as I could. I wouldn't fly anywhere. I would try to walk as much as possible. Do take public transportation. If I had to, I'd take public transportation or Mm -hmm. try to make my schedule. And I'm not doing any of those things. Mm -mm. So my duty- Do you use a straw though? Because if you do, then you're an eco-terrorist. I wouldn't use a straw because I heard that it creates those little wrinkles. (laughs) (laughs) And I owe a duty to my future, to my descendants, to not- have me in pictures with those wrinkles <laughs> because it may give them a sense of like, oh my God. I'm is that going to happen to me? Is that going to happen? to give them stress and angst. Very, <laughs> very shallow. Other than driving a leaf, how does your sense of duty look to your kids? What duty do you feel you owe them? It's hard to separate my desire for them as opposed to my duty for them. I want certain things for them and I don't even know if they want it. And that, you know, becomes the pushy, the pushy mother. My duty is to convince them to agree with me on what's best for them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> my duty to my children is to give them the tools as much as possible so that they can fly, be free on their own. Does that sound good? That sounds, you get an A. <laughs> Do I get that? Do you want to know? Yes. <laughs> is this your list? Yes. I do. It's the things we hear people worry about that we have a duty to make sure our descendants don't worry about. Okay. What do you think number one would be? What do we worry about the most? What do we sweat about? The yeah. small stuff. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. We should. We yeah. should. <laughs> don't sweat the small stuff, descendants. Okay. Okay. <laughs> most of us worry about money. Our descendants shouldn't worry about money. I don't think they should. I don't want them to worry about money the way we worry about money. God, I hope they don't have to. Well, I suppose if they worried about resources and money became obsolete and access to resources was 
fair and we stop worrying about grit and whether you deserve it or not because you're a hard worker. Mm -hmm. And we realize that people who can work hard did not choose their genes, did not choose their health, did not choose many of the things that allowed them to get those resources, then maybe that is true that we would no longer have to worry about money and we could then focus on resource affair. Everyone's going to be like, oh, socialism. Okay, I'm okay with that. I dreamed a dream in time gone by. Second one. We worry about the past. Do you worry about the past? Do I worry about the past? Yes. No, I don't worry about the past. I think about the past. I don't worry about the past. I might worry about the near past because I would think, oh, should I have done this or did I do that or what could I have done differently for a different outcome? I worry about the past sometimes informing counterfactuals. So yes. What would be a an alternative positive outcome and what could I have done or what could I have controlled or what could we have done differently? And what could be a, neg a more negative outcome if we hadn't done this, this or that? So I think about the past in terms of counterfactuals, but I don't think I worry about it very much. I know when we were talking about living in the moment. One of our podcasts, we were talking about living in the moment as opposed to not living in the moment. But I think it was, what is the downside of mindfulness? Right, something yeah, like that. Yeah. And you said that we really can't think about now without the past. We have to have the past in order to think about the future. And Unless you go and study in India for a really long time with a good meditation teacher, which yes. would be pretty awesome because then you could learn to be in the present in a way that would be really, really cool. And the only other way to get there, supposedly, are magic mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> I don't worry about the past either. You so. don't? I don't worry about it. I think about it. Kay. Why would you worry about it? How about work? Do you worry about work? Do you think that future descendants should worry about work? No. I don't either. Yay! I don't think future we descendants... We agree! Because future descendants won't work. Mm-mm. We're we're, technology's taking that place. Yeah. What about aging? Worrying about aging. Concerning ourselves with aging and concerning ourselves with all of these things, meaning thinking about them is a good thing. Grappling with them is a good thing. Worrying about them, probably not. Aging is something that would be interesting for future descendants to grapple with and to think about because understanding the aging process is something integral to understanding how humans flourish. So, yeah. I, again, I wouldn't say to worry about these things, I but, say, I, but I wouldn't say to ignore them. Right. I don't think it's our duty to make future generations ignore aging, but money may be a different one and work may be a different one. Mm -hmm. This is something that politicians need to talk more about. This is something that we need to really understand about our economy. There is a dramatic uncoupling of work and income mm -hmm. and contribution and resources. Yep. Money and in, and work. And that uncoupling makes a lot of our economic measures, growth, unemployment, antiquated. Mm -hmm. And there will be a time, just like I believe that Newton's law of gravity will be refuted, there will be a time in the much less distant future mm -hmm. that these kinds of economic measures will seem silly and obsolete. What I worry about with all of that is that people don't like change and people don't 
want to accept that. And people are going to continue to fight that inevitability. And that's what I worry about. Even now, when you hear the debates and you're a socialist, well, we're going to have to shake things up a little bit now because it's happening now. And socialism may or may not be the answer. No, and I'm not saying it is, but to be labeled that just if you're trying to think of different solutions, because it is happening. How about death? Do you worry about death? No, and I just heard a really interesting thing about, I can't remember what kind of meditation. Is it Vipassana? It might be corpse contemplation, contemplating death as a form of meditation Mm -hmm. and all the way to corpse contemplation. Your Ew. own corpse contemplation, which the word corpse kind of kind of triggers disgust. It does. But if we could contemplate the inevitability of death to the point where we could be curious about it and reduce fear, because the opposite of fear is curiosity, and we could <laughs> embrace it and grapple with it, I think we could create more elegant experiences I would not give future generations or future descendants or distant descendants the duty to fear or worry about death. But I would love to give them the ability to contemplate death curiously and without fear. That would be interesting. That would be. Mm -hmm. I think it would change the way we do medicine too, but that's another topic. I find that that we do contemplate, the two of us do, We contemplate death in a somewhat healthy way. I know mom did when we went and looked at her casket. (laughs) Yes. She was excited to pick out the one for herself. Yeah, because the basic casket, the pine box, is religiously suggested the most in Judaism, the most basic, basic box. Mm -hmm. It did eliminate some of the decisions of some of the hoo-ha of all the the trinkets that they have. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. There's so much. The whole death industry is really. Was it? Was I with you when we were looking? Like we went upstairs and we looked at some of those just amazingly elaborate. Why would why would anybody spend that kind of money on that? Because it's comfortable. Well, you're dead. I know. But that's when you are not contemplating what that means. And you are projecting the way you feel now into the way you might feel when you're dead. And that's (sighs) the only thing we can. We, you know, we are. I loved when I went, spent a day when I was writing for that Go Local PDX, and I spent a day with the mortician, and he took me all through the whole mausoleum. I'm so jealous. It was so cool, and we got to see the crematorium and how people prepare and what decisions they make. And you go in into the crematorium, and there's all kinds of, in the gift shop, all kinds of really interesting earrings There's and a gift like, shop? I call it a gift shop. It's kind of like all the all the different tchotchkes that where you can put the ash. Oh, oh. And things that you can make out of ash. And all the tchotchkes that people put some of the tombs or whatever have like glass where you can see it's almost like a showroom so you can look in like Snow White or something? No, it's like a, a retail space and it's a mini little oh, retail oh. space and one <laughs> I thought you meant the casket. one woman I remember she had her cell phone in there. <laughs> And you could see it's fascinating. I've never seen. Wow. I mean, the Jewish cemeteries, it's there's nothing to see. You don't have an open casket. You don't see any of the tchotchkes. It's one so of, boring. It really is. 
one controversial topic that is top of mind for people in terms of what we owe our distant descendants has to do with reparations. Oh, yes. Reparations of slave owner families and what they owe slaves or what reparations of what society, this society owes the descendants of slaves, particularly when you understand how this country would not have come to pass without slaves. People say, okay, well, that's the past. Do we owe, if we come from a family of slave owners, is our duty different to the descendant of slaves than it is if we're just regular people who cannot trace our family to having owned slaves at all because either A, we weren't in this country or we never could afford slaves or we never had slaves or, and is that different? And what about families that lost everything in Japanese internment camps? What do, what duty do we owe? As a society, we owe something. What we do owe is the willingness to accept the fact that there is a duty there and we need to explore what that should look like. Yes. If I was going to say what duty we owe, it would not be any different from as a descendant of a slave owner to descendants of slaves than it would be as a white American to descendants of slaves because this whole country has benefited greatly. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Then you start getting into Native Americans. You get into Japanese internment. Right. But But the conversation needs to be had and it needs to continue. And we have to realize that we have not done that yet. Right. The duty that we have to future generations is to have an open, honest conversation that isn't shut down by that isn't me. That didn't happen. Get Get over over it. it. That's the duty we have. Mm -hmm. It may go beyond that, but I don't have enough information to know what a solution would look like other than education. We have a duty to educate our distant descendants. And not lie to ourselves. Yes, that's really good. We have a duty to try to get closer to the truth. Mm -hmm. And that includes exploring and ripping off band-aids and scabs of things that we might not have personally had anything to do with but we need to see how we benefit from those things. Mm -hmm. And that leads me to the curiosity bite. All right. This is a study out of PU, just regular old PU. Good, I missed PU. Prestigious University found that 97% of the people could answer what do you wish past generations had done, but only 36% could answer would you be willing to do that right now in the affirmative. Thanks for listening, and I really hope you enjoyed the episode. Before you take off, I have a few more things to let you know about. One, you can find show notes for every episode of ACLR and links to all resources mentioned at applycuriositylab.com forward slash blog. It's there that we'll wait to read your answers to each week's Curiosity Bite. Two, in order to avoid missing Curiosity Bitten Conversations, Subscribe to Applied Curiosity Lab Radio on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and all the other spots that podcasts hang out and wait to be discovered. Toss up a review, especially if you have nice things to say. Finally, for all things Applied Curiosity, including information on workshops and your free membership to the Tribe of the Curious, go to AppliedCuriosityLab.com. In the meantime, elevate curiosity.